This podcast is sponsored by Bewley's, Ireland's leading and multi-award winning coffee and tea company. He taught me loads of things. He was an extremely lovely, really super person. But yeah, that idea of just making it normal. You know, and it's funny when you think about it, Joyce was very much into the d- democratisation of the arts. Welcome to the Travelling Cafe podcast. I'm Paddy Kidd and this is the first episode in a series where we travel around the island of Ireland, visiting some of the beautiful artisan coffee shops that this country has to offer. As I set out on my journey, I talk to people from all walks of life about theirs over a cup of coffee. That first jolt of coffee in the morning is an essential part of our routine to get us going. To the point where some people even say, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Nevertheless, coffee culture in this country has grown substantially in the last decade or so. With the rise of numerous artisan coffee roasters, people have begun to take their coffee much more seriously. Coffee has become more than just a source of caffeine. It's an experience and a ritual too. Adding to this experience is the coffee shop itself. They are popular places for people to meet up and have a chat. The combination of a relaxing atmosphere, the aroma of coffee, Light music, as well as the clattering of plates and crockery, have made places like this highly popular amongst the Irish public. On this first episode, I travelled to Bewley's Cafe, located on Grafton Street, which is one of Dublin's busiest areas. From the outside, you are given a glimpse of the magnificent architecture, Plants overhang from the upstairs balcony, and you can smell the fresh pastries as you enter the building. There are queues of people waiting for a table, hoping to take a much-needed break from the hustle and bustle of the city. On colder days, customers are warmed by the many open fireplaces located around the cafe. Thank, Thank you, very, you much. very much. Thank you. Thanks, Emilia. That's gorgeous. No Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Emilia. Today I had the privilege of discussing the arts in Ireland with the current director of the Arts Council, Maureen Kennelly. Maureen has worked in numerous roles leading to her current high position, including freelancing, theatre work, working at festivals, as well as being the head of Poetry Ireland. We are sat in an area upstairs called Upper Whites, a quiet corner in the cafe where writers and poets would often come to work. As our orders are taken and our coffee is being prepared, we admire some of the interior around us. The mahogany design, the marble tables, the banquette style seating, as well as some of the artwork, like the marble sculptures and the famous Harry Clark stained glass windows associated with this cafe. It's fitting that we discuss the arts in Ireland with Maureen in a cafe like this that is in the heart of Dublin as a cultural institution. When our coffees arrive, I wanted firstly to know what exactly Maureen's role is now and what the wider council's aims are as an organisation. Um, we just had a meeting before I came up to meet you about our 70th anniversary, which falls in January next year. So we're thinking, OK, we're going to put on a bit of a programme of events. 
So it was myself and five of the staff chatting about it and saying, okay, like we really need to articulate this for people. Like mm-hmm. what does the Arts yeah. Council actually do? Because when you're inside an organisation, you get all nerdy and you think about, you know, policies and all sorts. And yeah. then you yeah. think, okay, well actually, what does that mean to, 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 to a member of the public? So we are, we're there to develop and support artists and to make sure that the public get access to really good art. So we have a strategy, a 10-year strategy, and the two sort of real planks of that are the public and the artist. So it's really about how do you make a career viable for somebody who grows up with an ambition to be an artist in Ireland? What what are the supports that are necessary for them to be there? Whether that's as an individual artist or as a big organisation like the Abbey Theatre. So, I mean, we support everybody from, you know, your small scale musician who might need that much support every year up to the Abbey Theatre is, is our biggest funded organisation and this year they received seven and a half million funding from wow. us you know so yeah. it's everything from somebody getting a couple of grand a year from us up to that kind of level of funding The council is clearly an important public body ensuring where possible that all art forms flourish in our country It's interesting to hear about its role especially as a young film and media student myself I want to learn more about what influenced more in growing up Often we dream big during our childhood and are exposed to certain people and events that define our interests going forward. I was fascinated to know how she developed a love for the arts and how her journey led her here. I wanted to start with learning more about her life growing up in Ballylongford in County Kerry. I feel so lucky because I grew up in North Kerry. Um, I grew up in the same village as the poet Brendan Kennelly who died just 10 days ago. So I suppose I was surrounded by poetry from an early age, you know, because he was a very prominent figure on national media. He was on the Late Late Show probably like really regularly, like I'd say once a month or once every two months. And we were like extraordinarily proud of him, you know, because we, we knew him and I knew his family very well and they owned kind of the, the local garage and pub yeah, and so yeah. on, you know. And then also I, where I lived was 10 miles away from the Stole Writers Week. That had just started, I'd say, when I was four or five years old. So, like, at the age of 14, I started attending that. You, won, I, it. you won the yeah, poetry I competition, did. didn't you? <laughs> I did. Um, and um, so it was like, yeah. And, I mean, I was very lucky because I had, my mother was, like, you know, inclined to say, oh, yeah, Grant, of course I'll take you to the Stole or to yeah. Cork. And like I, I do remember like going to Listole and being in the bookshop and seeing one of John McGarren's books there and kind of knowing that he was around and going, oh my God, this is just so exciting. And just the, that was, it was the thrill about it that I just felt, you know, to say, I've, uh, I don't know, I just, I felt, I felt extraordinarily excited by it. Like I suppose I was always a big reader growing up, you know, yeah, so like to yeah. get in close that world was like, intensely exciting like when you're the youngest in the family like I am there's loads ahead of me and they were kind of good readers or they were going to things hmm. so they'd be coming home and telling you about things yeah, you so know you were influenced by what they yeah, were interested in exactly you know so they give you books to read and yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah we had we grew up in a really remote part of North Kerry so I was roaring laughing because my husband the other night said to me did you go trick or treat when yeah. you were young and I was going we were two miles off the main road like yeah. where would we have gone you yeah, know yeah. So, but, um, but I, I'll never forget um, we had various stalls my father used to like call them variously oh the high chaparral after a kind of a western you know all these names and uh, so there was a kind of a series of steps beside one of the the sheds 
and our stalls and like sitting on the steps there and like the sun being it was obviously a sun trap and I'm sure I was kind of dreaming big or dreaming getting out of there. We often reminisce about our childhood as adults but what is it about us as children? We gleefully daydream of leaving home in the future wondering what places we'll see and what people we'll meet. So and I just do remember that feeling quite kind of empowered by that in a way you know because I suppose Maybe it's a sense of kind of exuberance that the sun gives you or something, yeah. but just feeling there was a, there's a big world out there and yeah. I can't wait to get at it. Somewhere then in Ballylongford, what was the main like things to do? What, like, you know, was there cinema? Or th- you know, um, or? Listowel would have been the nearest. We didn't go to the cinema much. I made it, I make it sound like we had a shock in childhood. We didn't, <laughs> but like because you're, you're on a farm. You know, the idea of like... You know, we, we didn't go on holidays because there was always something to do and somebody always needed to mind the farm. But, but I suppose, luckily, being from a large family, there's loads of things... We were bored. Weren't bored, yeah. no. We weren't bored. Like, I, I certainly remember feeling very remote from things. And I, like, there the was often what I used to think of as, like, a kind of a Sunday afternoon torpor that would fall over you because you'd feel like, oh, my God, we're just so remote. When are we ever going to get out of here, you know? But we were very lucky. On the on the other hand, my mom is from Cork City, so there were f- regular enough trips back to see her parents. So the the allure of city lights, like yeah. I used to just go, oh my god, I can't believe I'm sleeping in a bedroom in this house, which I thought was so posh, and seeing the city lights out there, and the idea of getting a double decker bus into Cork City, I was just going, this is magic. This is yeah. you know, yeah. this is the life. From Maureen's time growing up, perhaps pursuing a career in the arts was unrealistic. However, the arts sector has developed so much in the past few years that it may be a career path that's more feasible for young people now. I learned more from Maureen about the development of the arts in catering to young people. And do you think a career in the arts in Ireland is actually still a dream for some people? Because I know like when you're in school, it's kind of structured in a way that science, business sort of, and you know, when you're filling out your CAO form, many people would feel security in one of them rather than picking an arts degree. Do you think yeah. it's kind of changing and do you think it's more realistic now? And if so, do you have any advice for young people? It's definitely more realistic. I mean, taking the Arts Council itself, we've gone from investment of 75 million two years ago now to 130 million. So I mean, that's a massive, massive jump. And that means that like thousands literally thousands more artists are being able to be supported by us you know and there's all sorts of developmental work going on so that like if we can encourage the public to be more involved in the arts then we'll be able to increase investment even more because obviously if you if you grow a box office there's there's more money and there's more acceptance and so on I do think it's changing and I mean thinking about film immediately you know the impact and it's it sounds like an obvious thing to say but the impact of something like normal people is extraordinary people see Ireland as okay that's a place to where there's extremely good film talent and that's a good place to make a film and there's good appreciation of it and so on um, so I think it is far far different from say when I would have been doing my leave and search it's definitely more viable now there's still loads of barriers and so if you take an art form like dance you know I think that's probably even further behind than film somebody growing up in Wexford thinking oh gosh I'm really interested in ballet I've been doing private ballet lessons how would I actually think about a career as a ballet dancer that's quite a difficult thing to Mm -hmm. do so those are things that we're really focused on trying to improve in, in the years to come
Representation and diversity are vital features of the Arts Council. One of the ways in which the Arts Council wants to recognise these areas is through the annually hosted Culture Night. It's a key day on the calendars for everyone involved. This Culture Night is celebrated through many different events across the country. Bewley's is also a highly popular Culture Night destination every year in Dublin, with different events celebrating the arts happening in places like Poets' Corner and the Second Floor Theatre in the building. I want to know what this night means for artists in Ireland and what impact it has overall. It's it's the belonging thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, we have a really good team. We just we have a new person who's joined us as our head of equality, diversity, and inclusion. She's from Palestine originally. Suha Shakur is her name. Our whole team is is really concerted on how do we blow this open and make sure that this gets as wide a participation as we can. And do you think like kind of new younger generation of artists are really helping this yeah. you know, progress? Like, oh definitely. Yeah. yeah. No I mean like the old norms don't. There's more kind of open mindedness. Ah uh, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. No they're like they're not going to put up with this you yeah, know <laughs> which is brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Like you know like they shouldn't nor should they you know. Yeah. Oh no I mean like yeah this, this a sense of status quo doesn't exist there like I think mm. they're just like let us at it change is necessary and, and we're the people to change it for you when, when I see new work coming through they, they're not saddled with the sort of certainties that I might have been in my 20s and that's that's exhilarating While Maureen's childhood involved visiting places like the Stoll regularly taking part in its Writers' Week and learning more and more about the world of poetry. I wanted to know more from Maureen about her past experiences, both abroad and here in Ireland. Travelling to different countries and working in different jobs can widen your horizons or change your perspectives. And Maureen spent a year in New York in 1990 before coming back to Ireland. I learned more about her life abroad. It's interesting to hear her stories from this time away and to understand what the trip meant to her. Well, just being in a far, living in a far more multicultural place for the, in the first instance was really important. Like, that's just mind-blowing, like, brilliant. And then, I guess, having access to a culture of just the highest quality and just seeing how, I suppose, quite democratic it is there. You know, like, one of the things I remember doing was going to the Metropolitan Opera, seeing, like, this... A production of Carmen and think wow five dollars that's pretty amazing yeah, you yeah. know um, so yeah it was and then there's also that thing of like being you know quite young like 2021 20, or whatever and knowing you can live in a major international city it gives you yeah. extraordinary confidence yeah absolutely. you know it's like, like you're working in a cafe weren't you yeah was it exactly. as yeah. big as this yeah. or oh, I worked in oh my god I'm so nostalgic about it because I had this really great friend who unfortunately died earlier this year yeah. but oh, uh, yeah thank you so we worked in this Jewish kosher cafe on the Lower East Side oh, and wow. oh it was fantastic did it, you, sorry did you live in Manhattan or were you yeah I did I lived in Chinatown first of all oh, in a converted loft which was like very kind of under the radar let's say and I stayed there with like 19 other 19 other people in the same room in this loft apartment and I used to work like do a shift a week minding the hostel it was a hostel like um, in return for free lodgings and then then up, I got the job up the street and then I moved with this friend of mine Paula 
um, who was from Yorkshire and another friend, Cathy, who's from Dublin. We moved into a, an apartment on the Lower East Side. So, yeah, so it was just fantastic. Did you like, ever think, I don't want to go back to yeah, Ireland? Or? I did. I kind of, I, I applied for, um, there was a newish master's in journalism course in DCU. So I came back to do an interview for that. I didn't get the place. Um, and I, because kind of missing family and various other things like you know but yeah and then I suppose being not being kind of set up properly there you know we didn't have a green card but yeah it it was an eye-opener it was it was amazing actually. Maureen returned to Ireland the following year she started telling me about her various jobs before volunteering at the James Joyce Centre. Volunteering here became significant as she was strongly influenced by Ken Monaghan a nephew of James Joyce in terms of making the arts accessible. Did you start freelancing first then when you came back? or No, then I did. I had a few years selling adverts on the telephone. Then in 1993, I think it was, I was living in Dorset Street and I spotted that the James Joyce Centre had opened. And like I used to, oh, I was working for an outfit called Lifetimes, which was kind of an offshoot of the Irish Times. And they were on North Frederick Street, just up the street from where Poetry Ireland is now. I used to go for my lunch to the Dublin Writers Museum and I was very aware of the Irish Writers Centre and like it just felt like oh god there's something very exciting happening around here and because I was living locally as well and I came to know a few writers who were living on North Great Georgia Street um, Owen McNamee being one of them so I was kind of hanging around with them still very interested in literature myself um, and uh, yeah in fact one of my favourite memories from one of the perks of the Lifetimes job was to go down to the Irish Times office and John Banville would be sitting there as books editor and they would have like a book sale you could get like the review copies for like two quid or whatever so it was great I used to love that but um, I was doing little bits of journalism so and I suppose I knew that kind of this this tele sales thing wasn't going to last forever yeah, you know yeah. that I needed to kind of get, get me act together um, even though I enjoyed it and I was doing fine and all that but I started volunteering in the James Joyce Centre at weekends so there I came under the influence of this great man Ken Monaghan who was the director who was the super, nephew is it? yeah exactly so it was a brilliant man just absolutely fantastic he was a big loved him. Then. yeah huge altogether yeah he taught me how to normalise the arts how not to be a pain in the arse around them you yeah, know yeah, I guess, like, yeah. how not to be <laughs> I'm sure I am a pain in the arse sometimes about them, but but how to be, you know, how how to bring them into normal life. That's that's just something you have to carry with you every day. He taught me loads of things. He was an extremely lovely, really super person. But yeah, that idea of just making it normal, you know. And it's funny when you think about it, Joyce was very much into the d- democratization of the arts. So obviously, like poetry from a young age you loved it was it hard to leave poetry ireland after seven years yeah because the the people who work there are brilliant you know they're really really dedicated brilliant people and they're great fun you know there was like i'll never forget like leaving the office on the day that leo varadkar made his kind of big speech in washington because i I knew i was going to miss them dreadfully and i was thinking okay well i'll have loads of weeks we'll have loads of nights out or we'll have loads of time to you know to have good stories to tell afterwards and then it was all just like so rudely interrupted by this pandemic thing but like leaving the office and it's you've been in parnell square like it's a really atmospheric space it's it's a beautiful building isn't it it's beautiful and And that was 2016 mm -hmm. you've moved in 
there, was it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just missed them, the people there, and I missed the building so much. So, so it was hard, is the, the short answer. As we continue to talk, the cafe continues to bustle. There is a chatter and a clatter as the waiters hustle. Customers' orders are taken by the minute, giving the cafe its deserved spirit. New faces enter the building feeling so inclined to meet with friends or read the newspaper headlines. Fast-paced lives of hundreds are paused for a moment as they sip their coffee, leaving the outside world in postponement. Coffee shops like this bring strangers together to get to know each other or simply discuss the weather. The smell of pastries and the taste of caffeine make these places vital to people's morning routines. As the dread of a pandemic still looms, we return to normality outside the confinement of our rooms. During our isolated times, we were left to ponder, feeling that these precious years are merely squandered. While these darker periods prove difficult for most, perhaps a silver lining has emerged in time's post. Our lives have been dramatically altered since the pandemic. With the world stopping around us, we discover new things. We perhaps encountered new hobbies, skills, or simply sat down to watch that show we always wanted to. We were given extra time to enjoy these things, unlike before. Joining back with Maureen, I want to know more about what she did to pass the extra time during lockdown. During COVID, like I think, I don't know, a lot of streaming services got people through it, or maybe yeah. they learned something new, picked up books, or learned an instrument. You know, there's more yeah. time to kind of look around and yeah. see new things, and you know. Oh, you know, definitely. We're, yeah. all, we're all living very fast paced lives. Well, that's it. Slow down and, okay, think about what's important to you, you know, and it's like it's it's been transformational I think to be honest and I mean God that's that's never to ignore that Covid's been extraordinarily hard for so many people you know but at least a silver lining might be that arts and culture have a new support base for yeah, sure absolutely did you learn anything or pick up anything new over uh, I learned a few new tunes on the tin whistle oh very so, good so yeah I, I did look at one Shannos lesson so yeah because I had I'd done a one Shannos yeah. dancing um before in person oh, yeah brilliant. yeah okay. yeah and you playing too much your whole life uh, from school all right yeah but i only kind of picked it up again last year you know so this lockdown has changed our perspectives on lots of things with that and particularly the arts there is a new prospect in store for this sector before we finished our coffees i asked maureen's opinion on this and whether we should be excited for the future that's in store for the arts sector in this country genuinely there's every good reason to be excited um because there's there's a new understanding of it there's new there's understanding and there's recognition that's what the pandemic did that it sort of said oh my god we've taken away live gigs because of pandemic and everyone's all of a sudden thinking oh my god what am i going to do on friday night um and people then like the flip side of it that is that people clung to things like records and books and thought this is 
this feeds my soul, yeah. you know, yeah. when I don't have that contact with other people. And this is how I actually connect with people. Yeah. So it's that connection is powerful. It's just interesting that before the arts would generally be the place where if cuts were needed, they would be the yeah. one, you know. So it's yeah. it's there's like a new kind of spotlight yeah. on the arts no, coming I mean, out of this. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd hope that we'd never go back there, obviously, you know. But I think because the arts has shown what value it brings to society and that it has a very central part to play. Considering you're in New York, you're seeing kind of different cultures and only now they're introducing this kind of pilot basic in- income mm. guarantee for artists. Do you yeah. think that's long overdue? Like, Yeah, yeah, I think it's... I suppose it's still fairly visionary to be introducing it in fairness because I suppose it hasn't been introduced in many other countries um, I think it's brilliant I think it's it's a game changer for people and like I, I suppose like we, we run Ace Donna which is like kind of an academy of artists say particularly from some of the poets whom I know who run it like the sense of stability and recognition that they that that gave them was extraordinary and it certainly wasn't a license to oh grand the state's given me 17,000 euros therefore I'll do nothing it was like very much the state recognises me as an artist yeah. so I'm going to work really hard and like that sense of public duty on behalf of artists is, is very very highly embedded within them I'd be highly optimistic for, for the future and I suppose actually what I should say as a complete basic level thing is we have brilliant artists In Ireland there is no doubt we have a rich art and cultural landscape In the last 18 months I believe more people have found an appreciation for this We have a history of producing some of the best artists, musicians, playwrights and poets on this small island at the edge of Europe Along with this, the building that Maureen and I drink our coffee in represents and plays a significant part in this vibrant cultural heritage at the heart of Dublin City. I would like to thank my guest Maureen Kennelly for joining me on this episode. I'd also like to thank Bewley's for helping this podcast. Please tune in next week where we take our coffee consumption to the banks of the Shannon. We talk to one of the river's engineers about the ever-increasing demand for water in this country and what their current and future plans are to tackle this. I'm Paddy Kidd and this is the Travelling Cafe Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Bewley's, Ireland's leading and multi-award winning coffee and tea company.